I was about 63. It never crossed my mind that I couldn't do it or that I was too old. Welcome to Life Leaps Podcast. Hear inspiring stories of ordinary people who made extraordinary life changes. What drove them, what almost held them back. Insights for the rest of us considering life leaps, big or small. Because hearing someone else do it reminds us that we can too. This week, I'm excited to introduce Sandy or Alexandra Britton, a 70-something British expat who lives on the Greek island of Andros and runs an extraordinary animal sanctuary out of her home. I first met Sandy several years ago when my husband and I, still gloriously pre-COVID and pre-baby, were traveling and volunteered there for several weeks. I remember taking the ferry from Athens to Andros and just seeing this gorgeous town against a mountain. Sandy's house, a large property known as Magic Mountain, is nestled on that mountainside, overlooking the ocean in a space filled with wildflowers, cats, dogs, donkeys, mules. And Sandy, I'm not sure what else you've got there now, but I'm sure we'll hear all about it. And other travelers of all ages from around the world who come to volunteer and help her run the place or pass through and stay in her adorable connected Airbnb cottages. I also remember our first day there being spent chasing down an escaped donkey and mule. So you kind of need to be ready for anything, including FYI, as you listen to this episode, don't be surprised by some occasional dog barking. A day in the life of Sandy. I was very lucky. I grew up in the UK in the 60s and the 70s when it was okay for a girl to be working and studying. You know, I suppose we were one of the first generations of girls that were able to be free. My father gave me a good education and kind of prepared me for the world and then gave me my freedom. And my choice was to be here in Greece after visiting one on a holiday. I was just totally overwhelmed by how beautiful it was. I went to art school, so I'm kind of an optical person. I was bowled over by the beauty of this country and I made a decision that somehow I wanted to live here. How old were you then? I was in my 20s when I first came here. So you're 20 and you come here on a holiday. You look around, you fall in love, and your 20-year-old self, a couple years ago, says, I'm coming back. This is where I want to be. But you don't actually make that move for 13 more years. I was 33 when I finally moved from UK to degrees. I didn't want to settle into the conventional lifestyle of working in an office or getting married and, you know, being at home with the children. Neither of those things appealed to me. I was adventurous and determined. (laughs) Yeah, probably those two things. I think it was just determination to do what I wanted to do. The only way I could do it was by working in tourism. Because in those days, we weren't allowed to work here legally. So the only possibility was to teach English, which was what quite a lot of people did, or work in tourism. And in that way, I was able to get a permit to be here. But I was employed by a British company. Do you move straight to Andros? I came to Andros because I was actually allocated to come to this island by that tourism company. Probably around the first year of tourism on this island, 
from the UK. We had tiny numbers of people. So I'm talking about 1979 and then, you know, increased over the years during the 1980s and into the 1990s when Pakish tourism kind of took off in the UK, you know, the package with the flight and the room and everything booked. And it was very successful for a period of time. And then it declined because more destinations opened up from the UK. You know, Asia started to open up and India and people were traveling further afield. And also people wanted to fly directly to their destinations. And this island doesn't have an airport. So it became hard to sell. And the tourism just fizzled out, basically. And was that the point at which you thought, I need to figure out something else to do if I'm going to make money and stay here? At that point, I decided to open up an art shop selling my own little endeavors. And that worked for about four years until the year 2000 when Greece entered the euro. At that point, the economy here changed kind of violently. Suddenly, everything became much more expensive. And I realized that I was just not really going to make it. So I went back into tourism and working in in a place in the middle of Greece called Pelion, which is a very beautiful area. And I worked there for seven years and spending my winters in Athens and, and the summers in Pelion. What happened was that I was completely unhappy in Pelion. I was incredibly unhappy those years because because I missed Andros so much. I inherited some money from my mother and I came back for a holiday to Andros with a friend. And while I was here, I, I thought, okay, I'll have a look around. Maybe I can rent something full time or maybe even perhaps buy something. And my friend actually was looking through a newspaper one day and she She spotted the house and she pointed it out to me. And I went to look at it and it was this house. And it was for sale for a very cheap price because the people wanted to leave and it was off the beaten track. So nobody wanted to buy it. So that's why I I bought it. Mind my asking roughly what age you were? I was about 63. It never crossed my mind that I couldn't do it or that I was too old. And the reason I ask is because I think it adds such a special dimension to the life change that you made because a lot of our listeners might be saying, well, I'm already 10 years into my career. And I include myself in that sometimes. I'm like, well, I'm already 10 years into doing this. I might as well do it the next 40 or whatever. You know, We feel like our 20s are gone. And maybe that was our time to make leaps and take risks. And wherever we landed, well, that's just where we landed. And I think stories like yours show us that just doesn't have to be the case. I was 63, but I was, you know, I was very strong physically. And secondly, yeah, I just, it never crossed my mind that I couldn't do it or that I was too old. I just just never thought like that for some reason. I remember somebody saying to me, actually, because this place is full of steps. You know, it's up, down all the time. You probably remember. And yeah. I remember somebody saying to me, what are you going to do, Sandy, when, you, when you're when you on your, I think they're called, you know, the things that you lean on when you're, you get old and you can't walk properly. Okay, like a walker, we would call it in the U.S., maybe. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be on one. You know, I just, you know, my immediate reaction was, I wasn't going to think about something like that. You know, if it happens, it happens. 
shocked and think, oh, my God, you know, supposing this happens. Because, you know, hopefully it won't. <laughs> so you move. Yeah, that's right. I must confess it was a bit difficult in the beginning because I would come from Athens where I was in the middle of a big city and suddenly I was kind of in the middle of nowhere. So it, it took a bit of adjusting, but it didn't take long. And the thing that was really nice was that I was back in a place where everybody said hello to you. And also the other very important factor was that there's actually nobody around, so I wouldn't have complaints about dogs barking, you know, any noise that people might be annoyed by. So you knew at that time that you were buying this property to take care of animals? You knew then? I didn't have any idea how big the project would really become, but I did want a place where I knew I could have my animals safely and bring other animals in if I wanted to. I had four dogs when I came here. I was interested in buying the place because I knew that, that any animal that I had here, if I had animals in the future, that they would be safe. What was your vision for the property? To be honest with you, I've never ever done anything in my life in that way. Things have just always kind of just progressed in their natural way. And within two years, I think I already had about 12 dogs. But it wasn't a plan in the beginning. You know, I just thought, right, okay, the good thing about this property is that I will be able to have animals here and they'll be safe. And that's all I thought, really. But like I say, within a couple of years, I'd already rescued quite a few dogs. And how were you rescuing them? Did they come to you, you to them? Some of the dogs were actually kind of thrown into the property or tied to the gate outside. And some, they've been dumped somewhere, and somebody's either called the animal rescue, which I'm a part of now, but I wasn't originally, or told a friend who told me, you know, just on the grapevine kind of thing. You know, there's, there's a dog who's wandering around and eating up the rubbish. So then we go down and, you know, try to find it. I'm always amazed that even now, you're much more established. You've got a much larger population You've got big Facebook presence. You were interviewed for, I think it was Ben Fogel's travel show. It's still a very organic operation. It's very reactive. You never know what's going to happen from one day to the next. If you catch word that a dog isn't being treated well, you'll get in your car and you'll drive wherever that dog might be on the island. It's not so easy to go to someone's house and talk to them about the state of their dog. I have done it once or twice. We've had a few cases now since the laws have become more strict in Greece. If you hear of a case of cruelty, then it is easier to go to the person's house and ask them if they've got the required microchip and vaccination books and so on. And if they haven't, they can be fined for that. So this is one way to make people hand over maltreated dogs. So, Sandy, how did your house of you and your four dogs, and then within a few years, you and 12 dogs, how did it grow to the massive special operation that it is now? It evolved until one day I suddenly thought, okay, this is not just something evolving. It's kind of a dedication because because the work got more and more, and there was the realization that actually one couldn't go back. 
And and then it just became, okay, this is what I'm going to do now for the rest, you know, for the rest of my life, I'll dedicate myself to doing this. It's very re- rewarding, apart from anything else. This Just this last week, we've homed three puppies. And, you know, that's amazing. You put them on the road for their, their new life with wonderful people instead of or death or especially if they're rescued from the rubbish bin, which we've rescued about four different litters now from the rubbish bin in, in the last few months. And that would have meant certain death. You said there was a point that you couldn't go back. What was that point for you, Sandy? One day I just realized that up until then it hadn't been an active decision. It was just something that was evolving. You know, there was another dog coming and then someone else, you know, had another dog and so on. But it was a decision, an active decision. Okay, this is it. I'm going to try to do this properly. Was there a point you almost turned back when you were like, you know what, I'm in over my head. This is too much. This wasn't the right move for me. No, no, there was never a point like that. It just became a decision to, you know, a lot of people just ignore it. They kind of think, well, someone else can do it. But it's kind of an active decision that, you know, I will do it. And how did that change things? Suppose it is a kind of a weight, you know, it's just very hard work. It's from morning till night, literally. You're cleaning or you're with the volunteers or you have to go into town to the vets or you have to but the chemist, and then you have to sit down on the computer and reply to people's messages. <laughs> People like me who are bugging you to, to broadcast <laughs> your story. Yeah, but, you know, this is this is something exceptional, of course, and it's a great honor. Thank you very much for doing that. But, you know, you have to make posts to keep up people's interest and then also think about getting money in, raising money. So it is nonstop. Can you tell us a little bit more about what is going on now at Magic Mountain? How many dogs, cats? At the moment, to be honest with you, I've lost count between 40 and 45. But we have dogs who are coming and going all the time. We've had a huge influx of puppies over the course of the summer, five different litters of puppies. And my memory of the way you keep the dogs is they are in your house, they're in your yard, they're in the massively beautiful property on the hillside that you've got. The idea of of having them in cages wouldn't be something that I wanted at all. I mean, I think it must be really very sad for a dog to be picked up and then put in a cage. But I realize that in some shelters, that has to be the way for their safety. But here we have an ongoing influx of volunteers who look after the dogs, and therefore the dogs are always kind of being chaperoned by humans, and therefore we're able to have them out of cages. And if anything, if any fights do occur, then we're on hand to defuse them. But by and large, they get on very well. I think they're much happier like that. And how many cats do you have now? We've got probably around 20 cats here at the moment. It was the group of cats that lived out of one patio with their little cat houses. Exactly. There's about three or four cats who come into the bathroom 
and sleep in there on a regular basis. And then there's another group of cats who come into our back bedroom and the balcony at the back of the house. We have kind of barriers that separate them from the dogs. Donkeys and mules, you've got those too. They're free as well. They have two stables. There's eight of them right now. The goal of Magic Mountain, there are certain dogs that will stay with you forever. And there are a large number of them that your goal is to give them a home while they need it and then adopt them out. Absolutely. The puppies and the dogs that have come more recently, we try to rehome them quickly. Quite a lot of volunteers adopt dogs, which is wonderful because then you know exactly the kind of person that the dog is going to. Speaking of volunteers, you are obviously one person. You're a super person, (laughs) but you're one. And so volunteers are really how you run the place. Yeah. Without the volunteers, it would be completely impossible. Some really wonderful people who are on their travels or they're taking the gap year. And the volunteers live with you on Magic Mountain. They're getting really bored and they're helping you out in exchange. They work for five days a week and then they get two days off in which they can either go into town or walk to a beach or just explore in the neighborhood. It's very, very beautiful around here. I remember coming and at the time there were volunteers from all over the world. And the daytimes, we were helping paint the Airbnb space, cleaning up after the animals, bathing them, walking them. I think we took a few down to the beach for their first time. And then in the evenings, I just remember amazing food, camaraderie, music, playing games, and just this gorgeous starscape overlooking the ocean. I mean, Sandy, I know it's tough, but in many ways, you live in paradise. I do live in paradise, and I totally, totally agree with that. I think I'm one of the luckiest people, you know, you can go out at night here and there's not a single sound from the neighborhood. There's no traffic pollution and there's no light pollution. So you're right about the stars. You can see a completely star-filled sky and some nights there's a full moon. It's just absolutely beautiful. The area is beautiful. I'm super lucky to be living here. The only thing is that it's very, very, very hard work. But apart from that, I just Everything is precious. For me at this age right now, because I'm getting quite old, I'm starting to get really exhausted sometimes. And I recently I'm looking for people who would slowly start to take over or take over part of what's going on so that we can kind of break up the weight of it. We learned about you years ago through a website called workaway.info, where it was people who wanted to volunteer their way around the world. And and we saw your list yeah. and we thought, this is it. One of my cousins, he knew about Workaway, or somebody did. I can't remember who it was. And so I got on the Workaway site, and I've stayed on it ever since. And that's where I get the volunteers from. And you yeah. mentioned, obviously, finances. We know the first part of your journey, you were able to do it through an inheritance that you chose to put toward this. But that obviously didn't last forever. And so I think you've opened up Airbnbs, you take donations. How do you stay afloat? The Airbnb, that's one way. Secondly, I was super lucky. And okay, so there's a program in England on television, people who somebody dies and they don't leave a will. And the money is divided between the relations of this person who died. 
And that, that happened to me. I just had a call one day. The cousin had left a very nice property just outside London. That was divided up between 36 people in the end, but it got something from that as well. So that money then went again towards the animals. And then just recently I was on the Ben Fogel program, which that also was a stroke of luck because they found me. I mean, I'd never heard of Ben Fogel, actually, when they called me because I live on this island where it's kind of in a little bubble here where you don't hear about a lot of people, different people. In Ben Fogel, New Lives in the Wild, this is a popular British adventure television series. Came out there and visited, right? It's been shown, I don't know, lots of times, I think. So I, I still get people contacting me now. The first show was a year ago. I mean, I had someone from New Zealand contact me. Someone from South Africa contacted me. You know, it's it's quite extraordinary, really. So just like the word spread on the island that you were taking in animals, sort of starting small, the word has now spread literally around the world (laughs) about your work just because you keep doing it. (laughs) I suppose it's just another stroke of luck. And that also brought in some money. Plus people writing and offering to donate money as well. Yeah. And where did you get the idea for the Airbnbs? You've got these two or three gorgeous spaces on your property that you've furnished. One of the accommodations was actually buried when I first came here. We literally dug it out. It was under a pile of earth. And I think that probably happened when they made the road down to the property. They just kind of lobbed the earth on top of the remains of the house. And so that was another unexpected coincidence, finding it and then digging it out and finding that it went on and on, you know, finding more bits of it. And there's still bits, there's still parts of it still buried at the moment. The amazing part to me of so much of this is you didn't have a master plan. You just saw opportunities as you went and you took them and every little leap you took It just sort of the luck created itself, right? I mean, you had to do the work of the excavation and the work of looking around the property, of course. But lo and behold, there's a space for an Airbnb, which you rent out and now helps generate income. I mean... Yeah. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) It really is Magic Mountain. (laughs) It really is. Yeah, that is really true. Sandy, what would you tell someone else? What can you tell me? (laughs) Are those of us who are in the contemplation stages of changing our scripts, of taking a life leap? I would say don't be careful. I remember when I was younger and I had a tourist office at that point with myself and another English lady and two Greek partners. And the English lady who was about 12 years younger than me suddenly said to me, Sandy, I'm going back home because I need to go back and get a proper job and, you know, save up and buy a house. Okay, so this person, I was quite a lot older, but I had no intention of doing any such thing. So I think it's just a sort of a mentality. There's the person who'll be more careful, who needs to be more careful for their own reasons to be secure and so on. And then, you know, I was more the other kind of person. I can't really explain how my brain works, but I never worried about about the future. I just somehow knew I was going to make it. You know, I, maybe I just had confidence in myself that mm. I would make it. So wherever I was, always working, I had what was necessary. And so therefore, I had no f- fears. 
I suppose somebody who feels fearful of the future needs to be more careful, you know, is forced themselves to be more careful. You know, I just thought I would somehow make it, and Hmm. somehow I always did. Sandy, you and your story are truly amazing. And I can't speak to someone like you without giving listeners a way to learn more, reach out and volunteer, donate, help, follow, whatever it is. You've got a Facebook page at Andres Animal Shelter. I'm going to include all your details in the show notes for the episode. I'm I'm not amazed. I really am not. (laughs) Nothing amazing about it. I don't feel that I've done something amazing. I've just done what seemed like it needed to be done, you know. Somebody needed to do it. He needs to stand up for the animals for a start. And there are people doing it all over the place. There's nothing really special about what I've done. You know, if you can be the one, just a message to other people. Don't be the one who thinks, well, you know, someone else will pick that dog up from the side of the road or whatever. Be the one who does pick it up. I like that small example, because I think a lot of people who are going to hear your story, maybe some of them are inspired to go move to a mountainside and create an Andros Animal Shelter number two, and great for them. But a lot of people are sitting here in their lives, and maybe they just want to make a couple small choices or smaller leaps or pivots or whatever it is. A lot of times we tell ourselves like, well, I'm not going to make this massive life change, so why do anything? But the reality is, it's small little choices every day yeah, that we can make that can totally change the trajectory of our lives. And yeah. as you said, with you know, be the one that picks the animal up on the side of the road can still make a huge difference. Yes. So Don't be the one that drives past. Yeah. Sandy Simon of Andros Animal Shelter in Greece. Find all the ways to follow her journey, including adorable animals seeking a home, plus a blog post that we actually wrote while volunteering with Sandy about our donkey mule chasing adventures in the show notes for the episode. Thank you all for being here. We're a brand new podcast. So if you enjoyed it, go ahead and follow, rate, and review us in your podcast app so that we can know what you liked and others can find us. It would mean a lot. Last but not least, we'll keep you posted on brand new episodes each week when you follow us on Facebook or Instagram at, you guessed it, Life Leaps Podcast. Till next time. Next Wednesday on Life Leaps Podcast. For a long time, it was denial. I denied the fact that I was unhappy or unfulfilled because I had set out this goal and this was going to be my career for my whole life. Who am I if I'm not a teacher? I had to take the risk of moving out of the consistent and the comfortableness of a profession I knew.